0: This is a place for black people to share their stories, ideas and perspectives. In a world that tries to define us, this is a space where we get to define ourselves. Who we are, what we are, how we are. Unashamed and unfiltered. In a world that tries to do that for us, this is a space where we reclaim our truth, narrating our own lives in our own voices. Welcome to the Black Monologues. Monologues, monologues, monologues. In our first episode of this season, Exploring Love in All Its Different Forms, you will be listening to Edwin. Based in Switzerland, Europe, Edwin is a phenomenal artist, and they will be taking us through their love of storytelling. Enjoy. All opinions and perspectives are their own. Please keep an open mind.
1: My name is Edwin Amirez. I'm an Afro-Dominican living in Switzerland. I'm 30 years old, I'm non-binary. My preferred pronouns are they, them, or he, him. I think blackness is multifaceted, beautiful and resilient. I first realized when I was black, it actually took me a long time because for a long time I would just refer to myself as mixed Afro-Dominicans have a complicated history with Acknowledging our blackness because a lot of us get talked that we're a mix of different races, blackness still gets talked about as something that's undesirable. When I realized that I was black, I was about twenty six. It was because like I started to grow out my hair. My mom was white. She always cut my hair off as soon as the curls would show up. Basically, she thought that they were ugly. For a long time, like I internalized that and I just cut my hair as soon as the curls showed up. At a certain point I was like no why am i actually doing this i like the way they look and so i let them grow that's also when just like everyday racism started to hit me harder but also that was also the time when i really started to learn about dominican history and where we come from and that's also when i learned that hey actually being black is nothing to be ashamed of so the moment i realized that it was painful but it was also a sort of like coming home Acknowledging actually both parts of my heritage. My mom always encouraged my brother and I to think of ourselves as Spaniards or Spanish people from Spain and to disregard the other parts. And I've always struggled with that, started to dig into it like, okay, who am I? Uh, where do I go from here? I can't separate the way people view me from the way I am. I use a, I use a wheelchair and I have this disability from birth. I always knew that I was different and I was, it was like a difference that a lot of people really couldn't deny. The first step for me was like becoming proud of my disability and acknowledging that it's a thing that I just have and that I don't have to be ashamed of that. I came out as non-binary. I've never felt like a man, like the description never seemed right to me. And like a lot of people probably I thought that I would grow out of it or that's what people tell you, but that never happened for me. And the moment I realized oh wait there's actually there's more than two genders, there's all these options, and it's not restricted by what body you're born with or your genitalia, it's it's about how you feel about yourself. And that was like a huge eye-opener. I stumbled from one truth to another, and the more I learned about myself, the more I realized that it's important to talk about all these differences like often hear is that oh I'm so lucky to live in Switzerland with my disabilities because in other countries or in my home country I would be screwed which is funny because most of the times the people that told me that didn't even know where I was from Western countries they they like to use this narrative of, of technological progress to not talk about the systemic issues that they have so for example accessibility and the fact that that the country is really not as accessible as people like to think it is immediately the argument comes up like Oh well, but it's worth in other parts. And it it comes up in ways to to, to make people uh to, to silence people and to not speak up. And for me, that's such a weird argument to make because like even if it could be worse, that's no reason to not try to make it better, you know. Love is many different things, but first and foremost the acknowledgement of the presence of another person or other beings a group of people, making sure that you see them for what they are. And and all the, the difference in between that we might not even have names for it. And we just call love. So yeah, I would describe love as a deep fondness for someone or something. I really, really love storytelling. I'm a stand-up comedian myself. I've always loved um, to be able to just listen to someone or read the words of someone and disappear into another world or to put myself in another person's shoes to really uh, use that as a vehicle to think differently about the world i do that in my comedy as well like i often talk about like everyday ableism or everyday racism i acknowledge in those stories just how like annoying and weird these interactions are so that the audience who may who might not have Experiences with ableism or racism can put themselves in my shoes and be like, it's weird that people react this way and, and realize that actually there's there's a lot more to do and that it starts really small. I use my comedy to talk about stuff that really bothered me and kept me up at night and that sometimes hurt me. I found a way to take these things and to present them in a way that's honest while also making people laugh at the absurdity of it. And I think I value um, oral storytelling in particular because there's, there's a different process that happens like in your brain when you're listening to a voice telling you something. And I also feel like it's a link to, to my heritage and my roots, where African civilizations have found their history orally. And it's a very different part of recording history than, than doing that through the written words. I just find it really beautiful. Being on stage feels like it's a, it's a big adrenaline rush and there is vulnerability there like especially in the first couple of moments before you've started to actually tell your jokes or started to perform and do your piece because you can feel all this attention that is drawn to you there's a whole room of people that are expecting something from you once you get used to it and like once you really start get going and you get the reactions from people that you want if the best feeling in the world. It's such a rush and it's exhilarating. It can really, like for me, it gives me the sense of purpose. Like I belong on this stage and I do have a gift as a storyteller. It's it's really gratifying in a way that I can't describe. And it's also something that evolves. Like I started doing stand-up comedy five years ago and now I find myself, I'm gravitating towards performance arts and I'm starting to talk about more serious stuff. In my latest piece, I start out with stand-up comedy before I transition into getting more and more serious and talk about the traumatic stuff in a really like honest way. And I even Like, that was the first time I sang on stage, also. I read poetry aloud. That's also, like, a completely different feeling, and and it's satisfying in its own way. And if you've never been on stage, I'd highly recommend to try it out, be that comedy or improv or acting. I just started, basically, like, on an arc. Like, I used to tell my friends about all these encounters that I had with strangers that would ask me all these ableist questions. For example... How did you get down these stairs? or sometimes, like, really personal stuff, like...
0: Have you always been in a wheelchair?
1: And at a certain point, like, I got annoyed, but that was also when I realised, hey, I don't actually have to tell the truth because they don't know any better. So I just started making shit up. Through humour, they actually... Realized in that moment how how silly their questions were, and I told those stories to my friends, and they were like, "Hey, you should you should try doing that on stage." And so I basically signed up for an open mic, and I did it once, and I never stopped, and so that's how I became a comedian. Comedy can be really really powerful, in my opinion, and especially if you're talking about like stuff that's not. Inherently funny at first glance. With a lot of traumatic stuff, what, what happens as people um, work through it is that they find pockets of humor within it just to keep themselves uh, sane and going. And I think it's a very human thing. That can be extremely powerful just to laugh about something or, or find a joke somewhere in something that's actually hurtful just to heal. I feel like it's also important to acknowledge that there can be limits to comedy and that you're not obligated to laugh about every single thing that happened to you. So in that way, comedy is one of the tools in a toolbox that you can use as a storyteller to see your point of view and empathize with you. The first day I ever performed, I was so nervous that I didn't eat all day and then I uh, My turn came, and I was the last act of the night. I came up on stage, and I remember that I had my sheet of paper with my notes on my knees. And I just started telling the first story. And like, in a matter of like 10 seconds, I got the first big laugh from the audience. And that really surprised me because I never thought that all these thoughts would be funny to other people because they're so familiar to me that I don't even notice. And so from there, I just, I kept going and I had a 15 minute set, turns out, and which is a lot, like for the first time. I finished and the the crowd went wild and it was the most amazing feeling. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to go again. What my process is for, for my comedy is that I talk about Everyday situations that happen to me and which give me a form of security because then, like, I'm a, I'm generally an anxious person. But when I talk about stuff that happened to me, there's nobody that came up, can come up to me and correct me because they weren't there to experience it in the first place. Like that holds the anxiety at bay. And from there, when I, when I think of, like, usually when, when, when stuff happens, I'm too shocked to, to react in a witty way, but then I keep thinking about it. And there's always moments that we all have, I think, where something happens and you're so shocked. And then later you think of the perfect answer and you're like, damn it, I should have, I should have said that. Well, the good thing about standup comedy is that you get to actually do that. You get to present a version of yourself that is that witty in that moment. So you, you do that, you tell that version of the story I also have ADHD that got diagnosed very late and I also have anxiety and what helped me manage it was realizing that my stories matter and that they can be entertaining to people because a lot of times if you're trans, if you're disabled, If you're black, we get told by society at large or even by our loved ones that, oh, we're taking up too much space and we should let the real people talk. All the other stuff that gets ingrained into us from a very young age that takes a lot to actually deprogram and grow out of again. That's what, what actually helped me the most like to be on that stage and to to tell my stories and to see think like no hey actually people get something out of it i remember like after my first big gig for our first national television an older man came up to me after my gig and he was like
0: you know usually when i go around with my disabled son a lot of the stuff that you just described on stage happened to us and i just want to thank you for bringing awareness to that or
1: there was this other time where um, after one of my performances uh, a young black guy came up to me and was like I'm so glad that you talk about really being annoyed with people trying to touch our hair because white people really need to know that it's not okay yeah that was the moment that I realized okay like there is value in what I have to say the upside is to actually realize that what you have to say does matter and is important and can help people. It's something that you can begin to train. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes to trust in yourself and be like, okay, I want to try this and I want to try this. And like, even if you fail, at least you try it, right? I think it would take, for me, the first thing would be to have an honest acknowledgement by non-Black people that racism and anti-Blackness is something that is happening on every level of society, on the micro level, in personal interactions, as well as the, the macro scale of housing, um, police brutality, um, immigration, all, all these things. And we need to be really honest as a society that this is happening, also that it can happen even in us, in us Black people, because we also absorb these messages and sometimes subconsciously can can give them all. And then once we acknowledge that that happens, we have to take concrete actions on how to improve things. And what's important for that is that we listen to the most vulnerable members of our community. Vulnerable, in quotes, uh, members of our community. The disabled trans women that not only have to deal with with racism and anti-blackness, but also with ableism and, and queerphobia and also there's also fat are and it's really important that we listen to them because these struggles are all connected right um, a lot of tactics that you see in racism can be copied or adapted to a different form of oppression and uh, we have to really be careful and aware of that just because we're just because we're breathed in one aspect doesn't mean we can't also breath other people in a different aspect. It's very really important that we acknowledge that. And once we, as a collective society, acknowledge all of that, whenever that may be, then we can think of how we can make the world a better place. And I also think that it's not an end state. The moment you start, start to solve problems, new problems will probably arise. And so, yeah, we will have to constantly also adapt. Which sounds incredibly exhausting and can be uh, disheartening. But, um, yeah, we just have to keep in mind that no one can be left behind at the end of the
0: day. Thank you so much for listening to The Black Monologues. We want to ensure black stories, ideas and perspectives are shared with as many people as possible. We want to do this free from vested interests so we can continue providing a safe space. For that to happen, we need you. Please support us by following us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, and also subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can also sign up as a Patreon member or make use of our affiliate links to help us financially. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to sharing more with you. Take care.